Hi there, it's Jillian, and I want to tell you about Jillian on Love Plus, your way to get even more Jillian on Love each week by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Patreon. You can access exclusive bonus episodes with extras, including answers to your most burning questions, advice on all things dating and relationships, and much more. Check out the link in the episode description for more information. Hi there, this is Jillian on Love, and I'm on a mission to teach people how to completely revolutionize their romantic relationships by first transforming the relationship they have with themselves. So whether you are in a relationship, single or heartbroken, I've got you covered. I'm Jillian Tarecki, certified relationship coach and teacher with over 20 years experience helping people transform their relationship with themselves through their bodies, breaths, and minds. I have coached and taught thousands of people to become better versions of themselves and change the way they show up for and within their love lives. In today's episode, I am so honored to interview acclaimed author, international speaker, clinical psychologist, and wisdom teacher, Dr. Shafali. Dr. Shafali received her doctorate in clinical psychology from Columbia University, specializing in the integration of Western psychology and Eastern philosophy. She brings together the best of both worlds for her clients. She truly is an expert in family dynamics and personal development, teaching courses around the globe. She has written four books, three of which are New York Times bestsellers, including her two landmark books, The Conscious Parent and The Awakened Family. One of the things that I absolutely love about Dr. Shafali's work is that the root of her work is consciousness and how to bring consciousness into parenting and the way that you do that first and foremost, begins with our relationship with ourselves. It's our relationship with our own ego. And even though I am not a parent, I have many friends who are parents. And as I reflect on my own parents, and, you know, my father wrote one of the most renowned and famous, if you will, books on parenting in the 80s. That was based on me. And there's lots of things about that book that obviously helped a lot of people that I um, think needs a little bit of an upgrade. And the upgrade really is, and what it's missing is the relationship with self. And I think that there's a lot of books on parenting that doesn't speak to this type of consciousness. And Dr. Shafali does. So whether you are a parent, whether you one day wish to become a parent and plan on becoming a parent, this is such an important, important interview. Even if you aren't a parent, you don't plan on becoming a parent. I think that it will give you a lot of insight into your relationship as an adult with your parent now. Here we go. Hello, Dr. Shafali. Welcome. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so excited for this conversation. You have no idea. So I'm very grateful to have you. I heard you say it recently, although I think it was for an interview that was a couple of years ago, but I was like, this is, I think, the good starting point. You'd mentioned something. I'm not, please pardon if I'm butchering anything that you said. I'm not, I'm not doing it verbatim, but it was something along the lines of we have to free the child 
from the burden of fixing their parent. I don't even know if you remember saying that, but that really struck me. And I know that you have said often that part of conscious parenting is not putting the pressure on a child to sort of carry out whatever it is that we as parents, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I'll say we, we as parents feel like that we didn't get to do in our lives. And so I think a lot of parents will have children and I think the intention is pure. I want my child to be happy. I want my child to have a better life than me. I want my child to not make the same mistakes as me. And I think that that puts a lot of pressure on a child. I think that's what you were saying when you said that, but I'd love to hear more. Yes. Yeah. So you really hit the core of conscious parenting, which really speaks against our use of our children to fulfill our needs, our fantasies, our brokenness, our unmet expectations, our disappointments that we carry on in life, you know, Mm -hmm. whether we like it or not and well-intended or not, we do place these burdens on our children because we enter this dynamic with a transaction embedded in it. And we like to think that we you know, unconditionally love our children. And while that's great, it's an abstract idea because when it comes down to it, we are heavily transactional and conditional. Now, of course, we may still love our children, but that love is with transactions, right? I'll give you this. You make me feel proud. You make me feel uh, deserving of, you know, everything I've given you. You make me feel Uh, good for having given it to you. You make me feel respected. You make me Mm -hmm. feel complete. So any relationship that has such blatant transactions, not every relationship has transactions embedded, but this one has blatant transactions and we don't want to own them and we couch it as unconditional love. So then the guilt the child feels to point out hey, you know, this feels a little conditional or this feels transactional. Oh, forget it, right? Then the child is called disrespectful. The child is ostracized. And then it goes on and on. So this hierarchy between parent and child creates with it this unconscious, transactional, agendified manipulation that we parents don't want to own to because we don't have to. You see, our children are so young and gullible. We can do whatever we want with them, and we do. And with another adult, we wouldn't dare. With another adult, like you and I are meeting, I wouldn't dare to impose my religious beliefs on you, my sexual beliefs on you, my ethical beliefs on you. I I would immediately step back. But because our children are ours, we don't have any stepping back. We have full-on projection, you Mm -hmm. know? And... Then you and I, and, you know, we were once children, we grow up to be adults, floundering for who it is we Mm -hmm. are, wondering how we don't know what we want. Well, we don't know what we want because we've never been trained to ask ourselves what we want, Mm. right? You talk about love relationships all the time, where partners are just projecting their crap onto each other. Well, it starts from, 
right where it starts from this place where the parent is projecting their crap on the children, mm-hmm. right? So how does a parent not do that? By first owning that they will do that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that there's no escape. There's no perfect parent who is going to be so non-transactional. Let's not pretend. Yeah. That's the first step is to look at the shadow, to look at the image in the mirror and to see the brokenness, to own our own weakness and our wounds and to own that we are full of transactions and agenda. That is so liberating for the child. You know, you just have to tell the child, listen, mom is crazy, okay? Right now where I'm, I'm like, I can't handle it. Mom can't handle it. Mom had a crazy childhood. How great. Or mom yells, but don't take it personally. She's just losing her mind, Mm. right? Whatever. Or dad or Mm -hmm. whatever. It has nothing to do with you. Mom didn't learn any regulation when she was young because have you seen grandma, (laughs) right? If you just can own it, then the child doesn't mind if you're crazy. The child just minds that you blame them for your grief. Interesting. You can't just be all out crazy. No, no, of course. But that's better than blaming the child. Yeah. And the child thinking, I'm the problem. That's why mom is crazy. Because the problem is me. I, I make mom crazy. As opposed to her owning it and taking responsibility. God, accountability really is the most healing thing to a relationship, isn't it? It really is one of the most healing things. Just to like own our stuff and to take accountability and to be able to apologize, it does wonders. This episode is brought to you by AG1. I gave AG1 a try because I wanted better sleep and more energy and just to get my nutrients in my body to support my overall well-being. I drink AG1 in the morning before I start my day and it feels like I am starting my day with all my nutritional bases covered. It's really hard for me to keep up with a supplement routine that comes with the different products. Number one, I hate having to take so many pills. It doesn't feel good. I don't feel like I'm absorbing anything. And then I just end up just blowing it off and not doing anything. So since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of just well-being and health. Hair, skin, and nails, great sleep, better digestion. So AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that delivers all these nutrients to support whole body health. It's like a multivitamin and probiotic all in one drink. So why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder and water once a day? And I really like the taste. AG1 was designed with ease in mind. So you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine, which I really feel that I do with supplements. So I am always looking for ways to give my body what it needs in the easiest way. And that's why I've come to love and trust AG1. Every scoop is packed with 75 minerals, vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced ingredients of high quality. They give me major benefits like gut and mood support. Like I said, better energy and better hair, skin, and nails. And it's delivered to me every month. So it's been super easy to make it into a daily habit, which is key. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash Jillian on love. That's drink. 
ag1.com slash Jillian on love. Check it out. You said something else that as a society, which I completely agree with, which is why I wanted to bring it up, that we are not taught to honor our authentic self and our inner voice or our authentic voice. So as a result, we're not actually listening to the authenticity of of the child or what the child's voice is, or we're not encouraging them to really listen to the call that comes from within. It's because we just didn't learn. So I'm just curious. I would imagine then a lot of your work is helping a parent face themselves so that they can be better parents, not just parenting strategies. So a lot of my work, and I have a coaching institute where I coach people to coach other parents, is all about teaching the parents to own their crap, to heal their crap, to become aware of their triggers and really show up for themselves with compassion and authenticity. Because if we're not even doing it for ourselves, how can we do it for anyone else? So there's a big difference. And I tell you, just in a child saying no, or even a teenager saying F off, whatever, right? If the parent has never been allowed to say no in their own life or said F off to anyone, they're not going to understand what that person in front of them is trying to convey. If the parent has always been told in their life that they are disrespectful for having a voice or that they are supposed to suppress their voice, then when they see it in their child, instead of honoring the fire that comes with that voice, yeah, sure, it sounds disrespectful, but we're tapping into the fire that the child is in touch with, then we can honor that fire. But if we've never been honored for that fire and we've just been shunned and suppressed, then when we see our teenager or kid saying, you know, whatever they're saying in their moment of outburst, we just look at the surface and choose to suppress that versus being tuned into, you know what, there's fire there. I don't like the words, but I like the fire, Mm -hmm. right? So how can I honor? So then the parent gets less intimidated by that behavior. I can't tell you how many parents come to me constantly complaining about how disrespectful their child is. Because all they're doing is paying attention to the surface behavior. And I always say, but what about the fire underneath? What about the crying underneath? What's going on underneath the words, right? But because their own fire and needs were never taken care of, they get hooked by the words. And the words are, yeah, they're important. But, you know, that's not the way you're going to find the connection. The connection will be when you understand what the need is. Okay, so this is really interesting. And I have two ways that I want to go with this. I want to ask you something first, but I want to make sure that we also get to what a parent actually does when their child is sort of actually being disrespectful, right? And that, yes, you want to understand the fire that's underneath, but how do you deal with it in that moment? So some parent-child relationships are so complicated, right? Like a lot of mothers and daughters will be really attached to one another and very close, but also like be at war with each other a lot. And I'm wondering if 
let's say someone has more than one child, the child who they battle with the most, is it fair to say that that child in some way is mirroring back to the parent their own shadow? Yeah, they're mirroring back to the parent their own issues around control. Yeah. There's something that the parent is holding on to and controlling that the child is reacting to and resisting. And then the parent is reacting to and resisting. And then the child is reacting to. So the parent can always say, but why doesn't the child? But why doesn't the child? But why doesn't the child? If only the child did X, Y, and Z. But the parent needs to, like you said, take accountability. Mm. You're right. The child needs to do X, Y, and Z. But what do you need to do to let go? So for example, your next question is, what does a parent do? So if the child says, F off, okay, like something, or I hate Mm -hmm. you. If the parent stays there and engages, then it's the parent who's been caught in their ego, right? So the parent who can step away and say, okay, I know you don't hate me. You probably hate yourself or you hate your life right now. I understand I'll be back and doesn't take it as disrespect or even can say, you know what? You're being disrespectful right now. I'm not going to allow it and I'm leaving the room. Mm -hmm. That's okay, but they're not engaging. Instead of engaging. Engaging, yeah. So instead of engaging, you step away because you're not allowing your own control issues to get triggered and wanting supremacy. Your ego doesn't want supremacy in that moment. So a healed parent will be able to step away. They should step away. They should should create a boundary and say, this is not okay. I'm not engaging. We will talk about this later. And then if the child comes later and goes, oh, mommy, will you please drive me to the supermarket? They can even say, no, you were extremely disrespectful. We need to talk about it. And we need to create an action plan. So boundaries are good. But engaging by ego is an opportunity for the parent to realize that they have been caught. And now they need to heal that. Because that is never going to heal the problem. That is never going to solve the situation. Oh my God. And so many parents get caught. So many parents get caught. It's so easy to get yeah, caught, Jillian. I would think it's very, very easy. Oh, it's easy. the easiest thing. Oh, I can get caught in a second. I'm talking big here, but oh my <laughs> God, I can get caught. Yeah. It's a very interesting dynamic because the parents haven't healed their own inner child, right? Like here we are being mom and dad, but we've been unmothered and unfathered ourselves. So we're running on debit anyway, okay? Now we go and audaciously have one, two, three children because we think we're amazing. Now these children are taking from us, taking from us, taking from us. And we're on debit already. We weren't freaking mothered properly anyway. Now these bloody children are smothering, taking, exploiting, (laughs) debiting us. We're bankrupt. We're emotionally, spiritually, financially bankrupt. How do we do this, right? It's really, really hard. They meet 17, 18, and now they have a mouth on them. And we're just like showing debit. Oh, man. That's why we lose our shit with our teenagers. Because by then, we have nothing left. And then if they have even the slightest attitude after we have given, 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 it's a lot. You see, so I have great compassion for us as parents. I have great compassion for our children because our children didn't ask to be born to bloody, emotionally bankrupt parents 
But <laughs> no, we certainly didn't. But we didn't know that we would be so bankrupt. Yeah. So it's just the, the human condition. And we have to all laugh at the end of the day at how silly we are. And that we're going to fuck up our kids. Like, parents always come to me and go, how can I make sure I don't fuck up my kid? I go, okay, <laughs> are you delusional? Like, you are going to fuck up your kids. You yes. just fucked up your kids by just thinking that, right? We're so egotistical that we think we're not going to fuck up our kids. Oh, oh, this is like a manageable problem. This is an unmanageable problem at the end of the day. And owning it allows us to have humor, allows us to have great compassion. And then we will stay on top of the ego. But if we have the ego to think we have no ego, the house is oh, on fire. forget it. The house is on fire. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I also think the teenager stage of life is a stage of life where we are really developing ego. I mean, I know the ego develops sooner than that. It's when we're really becoming autonomous beings and we want to be autonomous and we want to be significant. You know, we want to have our voice. So I think that that's so difficult for parents, especially the mother-daughter. I mean, I just remember when I was around 14, 15, my mother and I battled and we were really close, but like battled. And I have friends now who have um, daughters who are now 14, 15. They're like, whoa, this is really, really rough. So what would your message be? I mean, you've said it, but like if there's a woman listening right now who is battling her 14-year-old daughter, check her ego. Don't get, don't get pulled into it. What would be your like direct message to her? Well, number one, honor that your child is trying to find themselves. And the way they're going to find themselves is through defiance, through clumsiness, through obstinacy, all the things that parents can't handle. That's how they're going to find it. So you have to embrace yourself for these a tormentous years when literally I used to tell myself and I still do that my child's brain is abducted. Like why are you even talking rational mm-hmm. sense? Because there's no brain there. Like, and I know this sounds so condescending, but it helped me stay grounded. Like there's no brain there. The aliens have come <laughs> and she's been abducted by aliens. They, and she, yes. she'll come back to earth at 30, like gone from 14 to 30. There's nothing there. Like also the hormones that are happening in a 14 year old, female body is insane. The hormones are insane. Yeah. The the social pressure, 
that boys and girls have, but especially girls, the comparison, the competition, the insecurities, social media has made it much worse. So we have to have great compassion for what our poor teenagers are going through. They're abducted and now we're yelling at them? No. So don't take it personally. Understand that it's not against you. They're just at war against themselves. Have great compassion and humor. Brace yourselves. Do self-care. And then number three, I would say, is really check your ego about what is this fight about now? Like, don't fight the small stuff. Like, don't fight her extra tight t-shirt right now. You know, don't fight her eating the carrots right now. Don't fight her leaving her her Mm -hmm. pajamas on the floor of her bedroom right now. Like, we are fighting big stuff. Like, are you safe? Do you love yourself? Do you consider yourself worthy? Mm-hmm. Keep to the big picture here, you know, and I think sometimes we as parents, because we're losing control, we begin to carp and complain and whine about like little shit. Oh, you left the toothpaste open and you left the laundry basket outside your room. You know, stuff that doesn't matter right now. Right now, our teenagers are battling big issues like, do mm-hmm. I even love myself kind of issues. So please, you know, have compassion. Yeah, you're getting the, the raw end too. But so are they. They are suffering. And and that helps me, you know, and, and helps other parents to keep the eye of compassion toward our kids. They're suffering, you know. And, and every time my daughter is snotty with me, which could sometimes be every day, I tell my son, boy, she must be really mm. not so happy right now with herself, right? And I could get all caught up, but I have enough self-esteem. You know, I'm done with those years. So I can just have compassion for her. She's really suffering. And that's how I keep it in check on the days that I can manage to keep it in check. Yeah, that's so, so helpful. Speaking of self-love and being that I work with so many people who don't love themselves or who really struggle to love themselves. And many of these people, there's, as you know, a conglomerate of influences that condition us to question our sense of worth. One of those influences is being raised by a parent who didn't love themselves, who regularly got into relationships where they weren't treated well. As parents, parents model a lot of behavior to their children. So, What does a parent do when they've had a history of unhealthy relationships and they have, let's say they're raising a daughter and they want to model something better for their daughter? I mean, sometimes I think that what helps a person change their relationship patterns, if they don't see it as worth it to do it for themselves, they see it as worth it to do it for their child. Is this something that you run into a lot when you work with parents? Yeah, I was. And that's why I actually work with parents. Yeah. Because as you know, when you work with the average adult client, there's so much resistance to change. But when a person is a parent and they see their child suffering, that motivates them to finally do something. And that's why I work with parents because they are more open to their child's pain than, say, a couple who comes mm-hmm. about complaining about their partner. You know, even then, you know, it's hard to get people to change. But at least when I show them 
that the pattern from generations past is directly identically being mirrored in the current moment, they're like, oh my goodness, you're right. My child got bullied at the age of seven and I got bullied at the age of seven and that's why I can't handle it when I watch my child getting bullied, right? So mm-hmm. they can begin to see patterns and then they they start to work on themselves. You know, when you begin to make small shifts, your children respond very fast. And that's why it's so harmful for children and so beautiful because when you're not conscious, our children pick it, pick it up right away and that's why it's harmful. But when you are conscious, they also pick it up right yeah. away and it's so beautiful. Children are like sponges. They immediately respond. So parents who do conscious parenting begin to see the changes right away and then they get very excited by it. And that's why in my coaching institute, I have hundreds of parents and non-parents who believe in this work because they've seen the immediate change and they want to be part of the change and help change the world. Yeah, absolutely. You have a couple. They have a couple of children. One child is very much like the couple or they have a personality that fits in well with the ethos of that couple and the family that they're creating. Another child, they don't relate to as much or maybe one of the parents doesn't relate to them as much. They don't get them. You're nothing like me. I'm having a hard time being friends with you. I'm having a hard time liking you, even though I love you. That is all fear in the ego, is it not? Right, because the parents are so mired in their movie of how their family should be and what kind of child they should have. That when you have a child who doesn't follow the movie and the script, the parent rejects them. This happens in every family I have seen. Because there will be one child who doesn't follow the script or is not as amazing or, God forbid, average. And the ethos, the movie, the fantasy that the parents had for their ideal family was that everyone would be X, but not this kid is P. So how do we adjust? And most families try to shove their Xness on that child's essence. And um, and then that poor child seems like their quality, their essence, uh, A, B, or C, is not being mirrored in the X quality of the parents. And, and then instead of being honored for their differentness, they are shamed for it. And that this happens. Do you ever all work with parents who are the parents of adult children and helping them sort of heal that relationship? Many, many, many times. And yeah. of course, as adult parents, I first help them to heal themselves. And when they do, they can so easily see the mistakes that they made. And I tell every parent, you will make a hundred mistakes a day. Don't just talk about like how do I not make a mistake? You're gonna make hundreds. And I tell parents, if you now get focused on not making mistakes, you'll never win because you're fighting against the tide. Instead of trying to not make mistakes, which is really self-protective because you actually don't like to feel like a failure, forget that. This is not about you being a perfect parent. Work on healing your own issues around shame, guilt, fear, control. Because that's where, quote unquote, the mistakes will come from. So if you heal, if you try to stop the mistakes, that's just dealing with 
you know, just the surface issue. You're not going to the core. The core is your own issues around shame, control, and fear. I mean, you must see so many, because I, I think there's parents who are just, yes, they just don't want to feel like a failure, so they want to be perfect. Then there are parents who put so much pressure on their children to have to be a certain way, and then that child grows up completely divorced from what it is that they really feel like their soul you know, needs to be. Then you have parents who just kind of ignore their kids. And then the one thing that I see often with clients is them wanting to protect their children from pain, which is, of course, understandable, but so much so that they don't realize that what they have to do is teach their child how to face their pain. And I think that the best way to show a child how to face their pain is to model that to them, to show them what it's like to be resilient, to show them what it's like to feel your feelings, to show them what it's like to face obstacles. What is your thoughts on this term helicopter parent? Yeah, it comes from the parents' own anxiety because they have so been afraid of confronting their own inner power, their own inner autonomy and sovereignty that you know, they don't know that the pathway to autonomy, sovereignty, and liberation is conflict pain, right? But because they've never arrived at the threshold of liberation, they don't know what it takes to walk the, the coals of fire. And they're just living on one side of the coal, but on the other side is liberation, but they're so scared to walk across the coal. So, but because they protected themselves, and again, because they didn't learn in childhood, because they live such protected lives, they seek to protect their children and keep their children on this side of the fence, even though on the other side of the fence is liberation, empowerment, embodiment, total sovereignty. But because they never climbed over the fence themselves, they do that to their children. But take a person who's been through war, been through divorce, you know, been through death, suffered, lost a lot of people, and is still standing, that person will allow their children to be unhelicoptered because they know how valuable those coals of fire are. They're like, it's okay, you can do it, you can do it, it's okay. You come on, let's cry. It's okay. You're learning something from this. And they'd be able to alchemize it for their children because they've done it for their own lives. And that's how parenting becomes a real living laboratory for the parent to look at their own issues moment after moment after moment. You know, why am I so scared? Mm. What am I trying to protect my, you know, mm -hmm. just the other day, my child said she wanted to travel to Europe alone <laughs> and I had a panic attack. Why? Because, in, yeah, because I remember myself at 21 and the things that happened to me, and I guess I had not resolved them, obviously, because I wanted to protect her. But I immediately took that as an opportunity, a living laboratory to go, ah, you're projecting what happened to you at 21. But I came to America when I was 21 and I was so nervous and all those feelings are still there. So instead of soothing myself and my inner child feelings that came up, I had a panic attack with her. But I was able to look in the mirror and go, okay, okay. This is, and she was like, what are you talking about now? I'm going to be fine. I want to be alone. I want to walk the streets alone. And all I could remember was myself. So I then could look in the mirror and go, this is about me. I have to soothe my own inner child right now. 
and not dump it on her, right? But that that's how parenting becomes a living laboratory to do the inner work. Yeah. But had I not been conscious, no. I would have just said to her, no, 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 yeah. no, you're not doing it. I really have so much compassion for parents because I think I reflect on my own life and how many times my mom had to release the white knuckling grip and watch me make some really big mistakes and to ignore advice from her that was actually really good advice. You know, like there are, there are definitely moments where I can look back and be like, yeah, mom knows best. Like she really actually knew what was best for me, but I had to, you know, I had to make that mistake. And I think that probably one of the hardest things I would imagine if, if I were a parent, I would imagine that one of the hardest things for me to face is to allow my child to make mistakes. Yeah. It's so hard. So hard. And to learn the hard way. Because they make really stupid mistakes. Yeah, because our brains are not fully developed. So they make really bad choices. Yeah, half the time I'm picking up my jaw from the floor. <laughs> I'm like, today, just today, she's walked, my 20-year-old is walking out with her laptop. And I go, you know, you should put it in a bag. She's driving a car. And she, you know what she says? Oh, don't worry. I just leave it in the car when I go and do my work. Oh my and God. when I need it, I go so I, and my jaw was just on the floor. I was like, you leave it in the car. You know, your car will be broken into. And her response, because they know everything, is of course not. Of course not. Don't be silly. You're so paranoid. Yeah. So again, like total gaslighting happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, <laughs> but so then, then, then what do you do? Yeah. You want to just like, oh. It's, so yes, a lot of compassion for parents. But see, this is our folly, right? We thought having kids would be easy. What, yeah. were, we, what were we thinking? Right. So no one told us that we will give rise and birth to really, you know, not so smart people most of the time who lose their shit on us, who are ungrateful and think they know best and will dump us in a second and leave us in a moment. And will, you know, we hope we'll live in the same country that they come back and take care of us when we're in our 80s. But maybe we don't want them to by then. So what is the point of this whole thing? I know. So I guess having a child is just really about spiritual growth. At the end of the day. Uh, then, then, right. That's what you just take from it because that's all you're going to get. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's hilarious. So how did you get into this? Were you inspired by your own experience as a yes, parent? Yeah. I got it by the time my daughter was three. I got it. I was like, this is not going very well. Mm-hmm. And I have no control over this. This child is nothing like I thought. And I cannot make her into what I want. I really, you know, to be mm-hmm. honest, I just saw my own ego. I had a spiritual practice by then, but I had no idea. I was so egoic to think that it would not show up in the parenting because I loved this person so much. I thought love could conquer the ego just by being there. Mm -hmm. And I realized that love is not enough. It's consciousness. You know, love is not enough. No, it's not. Love is not enough. And that was the biggest lesson for me. Like, wow, I could not love someone more than I love my child. And it, it doesn't block the ego. Wow, this ego needs another master, not love. And the master of the ego is consciousness. And I didn't have enough of it then. I only had love. Love was nothing. Love was a baby, a little mouse compared to what I needed, which was the line of the, the consciousness that I needed to develop that hadn't developed yet. And that's why I was being smashed and pasted on the wall 
by the time my daughter was three. And I'm wondering, what is it? So an unconscious parent, and I fell into this trap a little bit too, blame the child. Because we're thinking, we were told to love. We're freaking loving this child to death. Why is this child not happy and listening? Must be the child's fault. And I remember going down that track, but that didn't feel good to me. Because how could it be a two-year-old's fault? Mm-hmm. I knew enough to know mm-hmm. it couldn't be a two-year-old's fault. So there's something mismatched here. What the F is it? And no one told me that it was my ego, my unconsciousness. So when I had the sneaky or the realization that it's my ego, I was like, what the F? No one told me this. Like, does everybody have this ego? Like, literally, Julian, I'm 32. I'm in a PhD program. I've been a meditator for years. And no one told me as a parent that it would be my ego. And I was like, holy smokes, this is the world's best kept secret. And I have to shatter it. I have to bring it out. It's like the emperor has no clothes and no one is talking about it. We parents have a big fat ego and no one has the courage to call them out on it. Blimey, I'm going to do it. And I began to do it. And I was hated for many, many years. I mean, I'm still not very adored. Were you? Oh my goodness, I lost clients. You got so much pushback. I got so much pushback. And I was so scared of parents myself because I pushed my own self back. I didn't like my own message because I didn't want to be called out on it. I was like, I love this child. I loved, I just was so stuck. And what, you know, when I tell parents and when you tell parents, the first thing they say is, Are you kidding me? I love my kids so much. It takes me 17 sessions just to show them the difference between love and consciousness. Yes. Because it took me that much time. I was so defensive. I used to fight with myself. Like, what do you mean? I love my child. Look what I've done. My body's a wreck. I've given so much money. Wasted so much time. Oh, it took forever. And now, now parents listen to me because I've got a voice, a platform. I've really shown this to be true. My entire 30s was spent banging my head against the wall. And even today, I will go to lectures and talks. And I'll come out of the talk. And I'll tell my friend or my assistant, whoever's helping me, like, I need to go get something to drink right now because I have been banging my head against the freaking wall. And the wall is the parents' ego defense because parents have been told that they are the cat's whiskers. They've been told you're amazing because we need to know best is also to know that we don't know best and our children need to suffer and our children need to fail. Right. It doesn't matter that we know what the end result is. Children need to go through the process of figuring themselves out. Yes, they do. And that is so hard. Woo. That they have their own journey, that their journey is not an extension of their parents' journey, that their personality is their own. And it doesn't matter if you're right. It's, see, it's yeah. not about being right. Yeah. That's the thing. And you That's can't control the hardest it. thing. You can't control it. It's a train wreck for a lot of phases of their life. And you just have to stay in abundance. And therefore, you have to be in your own self-worth. You have to be in your own self-power. And you have to be in your own damn lane. You know, my daughter's 20, so she's at the cusp of utter stupidity and great wisdom, right? So but it's like constant fluctuation and you have to just stay in your own lane and go, it's not for me to tell her, it's for her to figure it out on her own. And that takes tremendous discipline and inner power. What if one parent is willing to be conscious 
and the other parent is not. Yeah, which is 99.99999% of the 1% that has a conscious parent, right? So first and foremost, out of all the parents, only 0.00001, you have one conscious. And then out of that, you have only 0.00001 of both conscious, right? Because parenting can also drive a wedge between a couple. It 100% drives a wedge. Parents think that they come together as a couple. For the most part, they fall they apart. They fall apart, right? yeah. Especially if you have two strong people. If you have one really laid back parent yes. and only one boss. Yeah, there's only one boss in town. It's fine. Yes. But if both are bossy, oh, it's hell on wheels. And then one wants to be more conscious and one is more traditional. It really drives a red. It's very difficult to help um, unite a couple to help the child. I mean, that that's the kind of therapy and coaching that's very difficult. What would you tell an adult who is struggling to forgive their parent for, let's just say, not the kind of trauma of physical or sexual abuse? Let's shelve that. But just forgive their parent for maybe not being as present, for maybe just not being a great parent. What would you say to that person? Because let me tell you why I asked this. Because one of the things that I have seen in the current pop psychology psychized is that there's a lot of speak of trauma and everything is trauma. And almost like blaming parents and the way that I was trained and the way that I like to work is yes, some, some family members you do need to separate from because of how unhealthy they are. But for the most part, repairing familial relationships is very important to a person's mental health. And I would prefer to see people make peace with their parents rather than just blame them for everything. I know it's, that's certainly been a big part of my journey. So I'm curious. I've always been curious to know what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, I always tell my clients if they're over the age of 25 that they're not going to get away with me blaming their parents Mm -hmm. for their current situation. I'll give it to them until 25. I'll let you complain about your parents, but your present reality after 25, you know, has to be owned and accounted for by you. Your present reality has to be your responsibility. So really stop being victimized by your parents because now your parent lives inside you. You get to choose how they live inside you. Yes. And you're making choices. So first is taking accountability. We're back to that. The second is compassion, right? And the minute you become a parent, you begin to have compassion for your parents because you realize no one knows what they're doing. It's so hard and everyone has trauma. So it's not about blaming or even forgiving. I don't believe in forgiveness, really, because forgiveness means that you really don't understand the other person. You really think that they should have done it differently. You really have the audacity to think you're better than them. Now, I understand this whole movement around forgiveness because it brings peace. But the more powerful way to get peace is not to forgive the other person because you're still giving power to the other. 
the real way to gain peace is to understand the unconsciousness of people and how most of us are trapped. And the other person acted in that way only because they're trapped in their own suffering. I was just going to say, which paradoxically actually leads someone to forgive. Exactly. Yeah. So when we say, oh, I need to forgive the person, you're coming from the superior attitude that you would have acted differently if you were that person. No, you would have acted the same way. Yes. So when you really understand someone with compassion, and you know, that's why Thich Nhat Hanh, this Buddhist monk always talks about, you know, I am the greatest, I am the evil person, I am the anger. What that means is when you're in touch with your own shadow and you've seen that you can also act in the most unconscious ways, then it becomes easier for you to understand somebody else's unconscious ways. And you have compassion for them, that you're not superior. You have also been, quote unquote, the rapist. You know, what that means is that you're also yes. capable of, of that given certain circumstances. You just haven't had those circumstances happen to you. Mm-hmm. And so you're not more superior. Yes. So yes, create boundaries. Don't meet the person. Don't talk to the person as much. But also don't be on a high horse that all your problems are because of that one person and keep blaming them and being victimized by them. Our parents did the best they could. Every single parent does the best they could given the resources and consciousness they had. And so it is with you. When you learn to have compassion for yourself, that you did the best you could, then you automatically learn to forgive other people. It comes with the territory of being human. Very, very true. I could not agree with you more. Talk to us about your new book. Yeah, so this new book, it's called The Parenting Map. Uh, This is my fourth parenting book. The other three books were more about the why and the what, and this is the how. Mm. You know, it's got 20 steps. I made it very basic, very concrete. I have diagrams, illustrations, maps, columns, tables to help you make parenting as simple as possible. 20 steps, do one step a week, and I have exercises. And it really brings together my other books in a very practical way. That's wonderful. The how is really important and making it really easy for people. So I recommend your books to just all my friends who are parents and all people who are planning on being parents. You know, one last thing, a lot of people say that, well, not a lot, but one thing that I've noticed is that the birth of a couple's first child is a strong predictor of whether or not that couple will divorce or not. Like to your point, a lot of people think that a child coming into a a couple's life will be very unifying, but in a lot of ways it's not. So what would you suggest to anyone who's listening, who's maybe about to welcome a new child? And is there anything other than for sure reading your books, is there anything that you would suggest that this couple talk about first or think about first, if there was like one to three things that you want to leave them with to prepare them? Yeah, I I think, you know, to read my books, to get on the same page as much as possible. Listen, we don't have to be Siamese twins. We should actually have debate and dialogue and discourse. But in terms of raising the child, do we agree on most of the philosophies? Uh, Do we agree that we can go for therapy, that we are willing to grow? Uh, And again, at least we can try, right? Because what you say when the child is one is very different from what you will say when the child is 17. Right. 
but at least we can try to agree. And I strongly tell parents, one has to be the dominant parent and one has to be the supporting parent. Mm -hmm. If both are trying to be the alpha parent, it's really going to cause issues. You know, one parent just dummifies their own selves and goes, you know, ask mom, ask mom. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. when when mom just said when mom just said no to screen time and then dad says yes to screen time, both, you know, and then multiply that by three children and every day. And yeah. So let one parent, you know, kind of take the lead and the other parent be the support. I often tell, you know, father is the best thing you can do in a typical family. Um the best thing you can do is stay, be in the background and support the mother mm-hmm. and nurture the mother's wisdom. She's around, she knows. And for the mother to own that and to to realize how beautiful mothering is and how essential the mother is. You know, I find many women today feeling like they look down on the mother's role and they, they're like, I don't want to be a stay-at-home mom. I want to be out there. I tell these mothers, you have no idea what an amazing role and responsibility you have. Embrace the mother. You know, I feel like we're denigrating the role of the mother a bit yes. today because the woman is trying to be, you know, all alpha. You can be an alpha mom. Yes. You know, and, and being a mom, I, I'm a full-time career person. I have a thriving career. But let me tell you, I bow down to the role of the mother. Mm-hmm. The mother, I, I embrace the, I'm first, I'm first a mother. And I will always first be a mother and nothing matters to me more than being a mother. And I want women to embrace that, you know, not look at it as a secondhand job or a second career. No, it's, it, it's amazing. It's powerful. It's a life teacher. It's, it's so much your spiritual lesson to be a mother. So don't denigrate it. And for those who are not mothers, don't denigrate yourselves for not being yeah. mothers. But if you are a mother, do it with full embrace. Mm-hmm. And beauty, because it it's a lot. It's a lot, and you're doing a lot, and it means a lot. So don't ever put it down. Mm, that's wonderful. Where can people find you? Um, they can go to my website. I have tons of courses. I have an amazing coaching institute where I train people to do the work I do in the world, to go out there and help other parents. If you're a parent or not, you can join my institute. All you need is a bachelor's degree, so... DrShafali.com and Rebix on Amazon and everywhere. Well, thank you so much. And I just really want to honor you for all the work that you have done and put out into the world to make it a better place. I think you're doing wonderful stuff. And I know you obviously care so much. And I just really honor you for that. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Jillian on Love with Dr. Shafali. I cannot wait to hear from you. I want to hear if it's helped you. I want to hear if you have any comments about it, anything that you want to share. Please feel free to reach out at hello at jillianonlove.com. And if you know any parents or anyone who wants to be a parent one day, please share this with someone because you never know how this conversation could really change someone's life. And you never know, there could be just, even if it's just one person who really needs to know Dr. Shafali's work and read her books. Again, you just never know whose life you could be changing. Thanks again for listening and until next time. Jillian on Love is a Q Code production, executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson, produced by Ryan Countshouse, edited in music by Will Tendy.
In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale, it's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. 